0: Welcome to the Faros Fit Podcast, where we help you to explore your capacity to move better, push further, and achieve your limitless potential through fitness, nutrition, recovery, and lifestyle. Hey guys, welcome back to the Faros Fit Podcast. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Super important and interesting uh, podcast we have today um, with one of our new members, uh, Dr. Yasmin Mosseni. First of all, uh, Yasmin, welcome to America.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks
0: a lot, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Yasmin is a fellow Brit, um, so it's exciting to uh, to hear an English voice on the other end of this this microphone, and uh, more importantly, welcome to Ferris Athletic Club. Um, super fun to have you with the club, and it's always good to see uh, you know an English face there. But um, I know you know you had a fair amount of gym experience before you got to the US, and we were, you know training we we talked about some some. Uh, familiar uh, gyms we know and familiar people we know and it's it's always fascinating to me when when paths cross like that because the fitness industry is relatively small in 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 essence like we, i often find when i start talking to people that we've had similar we've been to similar places we've trained in similar gyms we've met similar people and we have similar stories so that's always interesting to me so um yeah i'm, I'm thrilled that you're at first athletic club
1: yeah, thank you so much. So, to be honest, um, it's quite funny. I before I even found an Airbnb, before I even knew where I was living, where I was going to live, where if I was going to get a car or not, my priority was find the gym. So right. I found you guys two and a half months before even like before even booking my flights to come here. So I was like, if I find a good gym, then. I will find the community, and I'll be set to go. So yeah, yeah. you guys are the first ones I found.
0: <laughs> that's like me and, me and like hotels when I'm traveling. It's like, well, does it have a gym? Like that's yeah. all I care about. I don't care about anything else. How big is? I don't care. I just, I just need. Is there a gym? That's it.
1: <laughs> the right priorities. That's
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> um. So yeah, Yasmin, let's start with um. You telling everybody who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah. So um, hi everyone. I'm Yasmin. I'm on. Uh, social media go as uh, Dr. Yaz, but um, so I'm an immunologist. So I specialize in the immune system. And so I did my PhD in immunology at um, King's College, London. And I finished that on um, February last year. So it's coming up to my one year anniversary of finishing my PhD. And um, for my PhD project, I specialized in autoimmune diseases and organ transplant rejection. So trying to basically develop drugs to manipulate your immune system to recognize um, your own organs or an organ transplant as safe as opposed to attacking. So that's what I did my PhD in. And um, then I worked in biotech for two years. So during my write up as well, and pretty much focusing on the same thing, which was really good and straightforward for me. And then I actually got recruited for the position out here. So um, I'm at USC at the moment at the Keck School of Medicine and I'm predominantly, so I also have a research component where I'm now moving into more cancer research, which is really exciting. So Mm. developing therapies for um, kids, especially so kids cancers. So mainly focusing on leukemia, and lymphoma, but I also, a huge part of my job is to convert products that different lab groups have created and make them safe to take them into clinical trials. So that's basically, I'll be in charge of that because whatever a lab group or PhD student creates that in itself is not safe to take to clinical trials. So my job will be to convert that same product and make it safe to put through. So, yeah. And I arrived here exactly four weeks ago. Wow. Fresh off the boat.
0: (laughs) Fresh off the boat with a, you know, a lot to do, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, And... Your involvement in the the kind of the pandemic to date, your experience in the pandemic, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So it's actually quite funny because um, if you asked any immunologist, I think they've all said the same thing, though. If you ask any immunologist or virologist, none of us ever saw this coming when we first heard about this mysterious uh, virus in Wuhan. Um, so for me, at the time, I was writing up my PhD thesis so was oh. in 2020, wasn't it? And I, um, at the time when I was writing, I, a lot of people asking me questions about this virus and what was going on. And just kind of during my lockdown conversations on Zoom at the time with people, like phone calls, I was like telling them, oh yeah, this is actually what's going on. And they said, yeah, but we don't know this, Yaz. We don't know about this. We don't understand how the virus works in the body. Like, is it is it not just like another flu virus? I said, no, 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 it's definitely not like another flu. Like, oh, what's the difference? And I realized like- information that i knew and knowledge that i knew obviously no one else do it because i not everyone has a phd in immunology (laughs) well there's
0: that and this this is a super interesting point and especially in the u.s because you know people don't get the information they need they get you know they get clips and they get short bursts on entertainment news that gives them like the sensationalist like thing of it and they don't really have the real information yeah at hand, which is why your your instagram page is so good because <laughs> you know it really gives information it really talks about the the, the the points and it's not just clickbait you know
1: oh thank you no so based that that so that's the issue is that everyone was telling me at the time you should really be talking about this on like that's when TikTok sides become big and like you know on Instagram and I was like I don't I was writing my PhD thesis and anyone out there that's done a PhD you know how painful that process is it's writing a hundred thousand words in six months is not a chill task (laughs) so um, luckily I had a lockdown on my side which meant I didn't have any plans to distract me but I just thought no like I can't dedicate any time to this I didn't think it was that much of a Big thing for me to like have to start putting myself out there publicly until the vaccine started to come through the so when all the vaccine hype began in around sort of i guess august september like pfizer moderna potentially astrazeneca oxford astrazeneca the studies that the phase one data came out and i thought this is bloody brilliant this is great but most people didn't have that same reaction the first one was hang on why is there a vaccine out within 14 months? Like that's very, very suspect. It usually takes 20 years to come up with a vaccine. Right. And suddenly from that and i not understanding what MRNA is from that, all the misinformation came through. And I kind of just sat idly at the time, but then when I saw how this misinformation like spread like wildfire and suddenly it looked like some sort of platforms were almost promoting it because these accounts suddenly exploded on social media and having so much following. I thought, i got to do something about this (laughs) because I thought, for once, the information I have, it's, you know, before like I'd be at a a pub or a party or a bar and people ask what you do and I'll tell them, they'll be like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me what can I take to boost my immune system and all that stuff. But for now, this was actually the knowledge I have from all my training could actually come in useful. So then I converted my Instagram page from selfies and CrossFit photos <laughs> and girls nights out to uh, talking about COVID and the vaccines. So that's kind of been my journey.
0: So so let's pretend I'm a complete moron, which shouldn't be too hard to do. <laughs> and let's take that a step back. So you, you mentioned the mRNA and people not understand, uh, understanding what it is. So let's let's talk about that. What? Why were they able to to do this so quickly? What, why was it able to be able to be done in fourteen months as opposed to twenty years, like you said?
1: Yeah. So um, it's interesting. My like, very first is funny because I see the evolution of my page, and the very first video I did was on this, and it was like four minutes long, and I'm like, oh my goodness, yes, no one listens and, like, to things for four minutes. But um, so basically, the reason why is because this technology. If we're going to take both the AstraZeneca and the Pfizer Moderna, so different technologies. Um, There was already predominant research done on mRNA vaccines in the context of cancer. So I was learning about mRNA vaccines during my uh, potential vaccines during my bachelor's degree like 10 years ago. So it's just the so that's the first thing. So the actual like foundations of the research was already there. It isn't something completely novel in terms of the AstraZeneca um, vaccine, which is the DNA based one, not mRNA there was already that vaccine available for the MERS virus. Yeah, they ordered that like all Oxford had to do was repurpose it for MERS is in the same family as COVID as SARS. So they just had to repurpose it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, if you think about why a vaccine takes 20 years, let's say you've got Billy, the PhD student and Paul, the postdoc who only have 200,000 pounds at the time or dollars. Um, a three-year PhD project with the postdoc on it to help to come up with a vaccine for virus X. Of course, it will take, I forgot their names already, Billy and Paul, like (laughs) years to come up with something because on such little funding and just the two of them on a mysterious virus, of course, it's going to take a long time. What happens suddenly when you've got Department of Defense, you know, all these private companies Defense and uh, so national security and all these different like, you know, biotech companies, pharmaceuticals, charities, everyone throwing in billions and billions and telling all scientists basically drop what you're doing, repurpose with the money we're giving you to come up with a vaccine, this became a global collaborative. So it's kind of like a cool sci-fi film where sort of you think like aliens are coming to like invade the planet and you've got six months and suddenly all scientists or whatever drop what they're doing to come up with this research. They all come together. That's why suddenly you don't just have one postdoc and one PhD student. You have thousands and thousands of scientists all coming together. With more money comes more manpower, comes more research, comes more publications. And with more publications, you can redirect the research. That's why we got a vaccine out so quickly. And how,
0: yeah. can I just ask a question?
1: Yeah. How do
0: they know? How is it possible to know the long-term effects of a vaccine in that time frame? I know everyone's putting their energies into it and, and researching, but how do you mm-hmm. how do you know the long-term?
1: No, that that's a really valid point. So if we're going to actually go based on what we know about va- sort of vaccine immunology, there's only in terms of long-term side effects, it doesn't actually make sense for a vaccine to induce injury. Six months, a year, or two years later, because that's not just how the biology or the mechanism works. In terms of the spike protein that's generated from the mRNA vaccine or even the DNA based vaccines, the spike lasts max. So the actual mRNA itself, if we're going to go back to the mRNA vaccines, um, it has a half life of 24 hours. So. Oh,
0: one second. Yes,
1: lost you. In- the um, spike protein.
0: Sorry, we lost you for a second then. Let's go back like uh, 10 words.
1: <laughs> okay, so um, in terms of the actual technology of the mRNA, the mRNA degrades within a day. The, well, it has a half-life of 24 hours. The spike protein has a half-life of about 72 hours, so with three days. So in terms of the actual vaccine component of the spike and the mRNA, it degrades within days. All that's left is your immune system. So it's the memory built up. So unless if your immune system goes rogue and turns on you, any sort of side effects we've seen from the vaccines has been within maximum two months. I mean, that's just a blanket statement, maximum two months. It's it's very unlikely that you will have something that reactivates six months, a year later, because there's nothing left but your immune system, if that makes sense. Yeah. The only times that, that would there could be potentially something of the sort has been like, implications with like live vaccines but these are not live these are not living these vaccines it's like a piece of the virus or whatever that's living Um, there have been reports of that in the past but in terms of the actual this kind of technology it's not possible for anything long like long term to suddenly show up months later so you, you hadn't
0: seen any data that suggests like the immune system could be weakened by the vaccine
1: Absolutely not, and there, that was one of the first misinformation claims that really put my back up against the wall. And that actually, I got tagged in something for that, and I think it was it was a complete misinterpretation, a misunderstanding of the of the data. It was someone it basically the UK data, like UKHSA data, like updates every week from the government, and it's online for everyone to see, which shows how like transparent the UK at least is being. Yeah, and um, it said that. In um, vaccinated individuals compared to unvaccinated, the level of N antibodies, like the letter N, N antibodies was lower. So then people thought that meant natural antibodies is lower. That means that the vaccine weakens. No, N antibodies, N is is like a a different part of the virus. So it just means you've got lower antibodies to that. We've got more to the spike because that's what the vaccine generates. So just small things like that suddenly become blown up and it's like but that's not even true like if you understood and actually asked the experts and not every expert is behind some sort of giant conspiracy then maybe you would have those facts illuminated to you I suppose.
0: what what happened with I, I know in the uk astrazeneca was really the first one i know my parents had astrazeneca and then it, ne- it never got here it was never approved here and then did it get pulled in the uk or are they still using astrazeneca and if so why what was that all about
1: yeah, so actually, I was actually in the category of those that shouldn't have got AstraZeneca, but I did. I was double vaxxed with AstraZeneca, and I'm okay. Um, so the problem with the AstraZeneca vaccine is the particular adenoviral vector technology. We don't need to go into the jargon details, but it was linked to blood clots, and it beca- it got to a point where the rate of ba- of of um, blood clots was higher than background. Like we couldn't just say. It could have been because of someone had a poor diet, but happened to have AstraZeneca. So they got a blood clot and, or someone was on birth control pill, you know, and got a blood clot. So, oh, we can blame it on the birth control pill. No, it actually was because of the vaccine. They actually found the mechanism behind it. Like they researched, oh, this is potentially why. So it got paused for those young people, especially the women. So I was in the category that shouldn't have got it, to be honest. I'm a woman, Right. only just under the age of 30, only just. Um, but I was still double vaccinated with AstraZeneca and I was fine. So I think also in terms of the boosters, now we're going towards, then the boosters in the UK are just mRNA technology. So it's just Pfizer and Moderna. But that's because in terms of the efficacy of the vaccines, they're actually better. Like Moderna and Pfizer are actually just better vaccines than the AstraZeneca one. So in terms of like, Backs in effectiveness. Obviously, AstraZeneca is great, and I could go into the T cell data, but we don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> go
0: that have well. you have you noticed since moving to the states? I mean, this whole thing has been been very politicized in this country. um There's a huge distrust of Big Pharma. There's a huge distrust of of politicians in general. Uh, have you noticed the difference between the UK and the US in that sense, or is it has it been the same on both sides?
1: Shockingly, so I've seen the difference, and suddenly I've become a lot more. Um, empathetic towards the situation since coming here so in the UK we don't this is going to (laughs) be I'm wondering how transparent I can get on this podcast you can
0: get as transparent as you want
1: okay so in the UK we don't have a if any UK people listening we don't have a level of mistrust in our government the way the US does but we just think our government are idiots like we think yeah it's like Boris Johnson is an absolute buffoon like the whole lockdown party scandal and how he was quote unquote ambushed with cake like it's just it's just laughable how ridiculous the situation is however in the UK our key key slogan is keep calm and carry on isn't it we just got on with the task when Omicron hit there weren't an increase in restrictions we had plan b in, in place meaning Masks like on the tube and public transport, some places wanted to see evidence for negative lateral flow test or a vac- or a vaccine like vaccination passport, but most don't the way it is in the u s but because we kind of just got trusted to carry on with it we all got boosted we didn't complain we didn't say anything a week before christmas we all shielded and cancelled our own social plans on our own accord because we didn't want to take omicron if we caught it back to our grandparents so right. in the uk people just kind of just got on with it whereas here i can see how heavily politicized it is i mean there's it seems to be everywhere you go here you need to show some sort of vaccine pass or rapid yeah. And honestly,
0: I think that that is a huge part of the problem because there's been so much a hypocrisy and there's been so much, um, so many different like extremes of, you know, we had this crazy thing about, you know, you need to wear a mask at Christmas dinner you need to pull your mask down, take a bite, put your mask back on, you know, it's just all preposterous. So people see things like that, and then they go the other end. It's like, this is all just fucking nonsense. Like, it's bullshit. I'm not going to do it. So you have these extremes of, like, rather than, as you said, in England, it being a little bit more sensible, a little bit more like, you just need to do this, you just need to do that, and just 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 get on with things. Just just common sense. Just just common sense. Rather than these kind of, like, more draconian, like, lockdown mandate practices that that just make people go completely the other direction and say, fuck it all. I'm not doing it anymore. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And it's
0: also, it's interesting... You know, because in the UK, and I, I don't know if a lot of Americans know this, but I think the US is the only country in the world that's allowed to um, adver- advertise pharmaceuticals. I think actually, maybe New Zealand can, or there's another country that can, but um, it's not a done thing. So when you see all these crazy advertisements in the US for pharmaceuticals, and then at the end they they, they reel off all the uh, all the, the possible. Um, uh, dangers of taking the drug. You're just as a Brit, you're kind of sitting there thinking, "What the hell is going on?" You know, it's quite and funny. Then, yeah, and then you you watch things like I just watched what's the um, I just watched the the series about um, and I think you have probably seen it, Yasmin. It's the one about um, the use of um, well, heroin, but um, dope sick. Do- dope sick. Did you see Dope Sick?
1: I have not. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. So you
0: watch it because you know. It, it's all about um, how that particular what's the, what's the drug called? Oxycontin. Oxycontin. How about how Oxycontin was developed, how it was used, how it was promoted, how it was advertised, and how how big pharma like obviously pretty much bribed um, you know the, the necessary officials to get it approved, and then how they kept increasing the dose, increasing the dose, increasing the dose to get people addicted, and you know this whole thing, and it just it just okay. reminds you. of where where this distrust comes from? Because it's a real it's a real thing. It it, it, it happens. It's not like a make believe. It's not like this big pharma is the make believe bad guy. No, they actually did this shit. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I it's,
1: get that.
0: It, it, like you said, when you come here, you realize you know the shit that has happened and why people are skeptical and why people have these deep reservations about big pharma and government and you know being told what to do and, and, and that kind of stuff.
1: I totally do. My stance is that, uh, for me, my frustration was because I, at the time, was, I mean, I was, no, I mean, praise the Lord, I've got a nicer salary now, but I was a poor scientist in London, getting less than the average London living wage. And I was like, guys, I'm literally putting out my content in my quote-unquote spare time no one has spare time but I was do. it became like a hustle and a side right. job for me that I didn't need to do so when people said that I'm being paid by big pharma right. I'm behind all this I was like oh hon if you really knew that I'm like <laughs> out my credit cards like I'm so poor <laughs> like it's so that's to me it was I understood the mistrust of the government but when it come- came to scientists on the ground like me who literally was just like I just like talking about immunology and teaching you guys about immunology because i know it i'm right. not getting funded in any way that was what shocked me was when i i almost understood when the top level scientists were getting on I me mean, i say i understood i, I didn't but i could understand i guess empathize um or kind of get it but when it came to like scientists or my other fellow science communicators on social media like me that were getting accused of it i was like no like we're we're not so i think that's when it became a little bit um yeah tricky i think
0: What what do you, what do you say when, um, so the the, people always talk about trust the science, but there are a lot of scientists who have tried to tell a different story from what the narrative in the U S has been. What do you, what do you say to and about those scientists? For example, did you read the great Barrington declaration? You know what that Uh, is?
1: No, that one I didn't.
0: So, you know, it was basically, it was basically saying, um, there are better ways of dealing with this, this pandemic that don't. Uh, don't involve like extreme lockdowns and don't involve it was more like you know we need to protect the the vulnerable but the the healthy people should go back to work kind of like more like the Swedish approach to stuff but of course you know that was kind of rubbish to pseudoscience and all this kind of stuff like how do you how do you distinguish between the scientists that you believe in and the scientists that you don't believe in
1: oh boy because obviously there's a lot of yeah so there are some scientists um, that I mean, one I have tried to debunk on my social media that have I just think have been absolutely a, a bit of a disgrace, to be honest with you. There's um, scientists that are promoting flat out misinformation, flat out. I mean, things like the vaccines don't work. There were no animal trials done um, for the va- and things like that. They're just completely false and just not true whatsoever. Um, those ones are quite I mean, I have reasons for thinking why they do that, which is more like they're trying to kind of get their own fame and publicity and their own followership that they felt they didn't necessarily get the level of recognition and um, admiration that they did during their time in research. But hello, welcome to research and science. Like, it's not about you getting the fame. It's about you creating a drug to save other people's lives. It's not for you. Um, That's kind of been my thinking. And also, what are they pushing out? So what are they going to suddenly be promoting their own products later on down the line that could potentially be used as a prophylactic to COVID or I don't know whatever nonsense they're going to come out with so that's kind of been my stance on that as in terms of the sort of I've heard about that. Like, yeah, I didn't actually realize that was the term but locking down the vulnerable and the elderly but letting everyone else carry on I mean that's like in terms of the actual societal implications of that. And I know mental health has plummeted because of lockdowns, but you can't just segregate like, you know, prisoners, the elderly and the vulnerable and let everyone else carry on. So I think that we have almost a sort of, a a sort of community mindset where we all have to kind of stick together and we can't just isolate those people, but that's kind of been my, and also in terms of the actual spreading of the, the spawning of the new variants, if people are mixing that's how variants it doesn't matter if you're like elderly or like a young person that's how variants spawn right so, but yeah.
0: the lo- the lo- the lockdowns originally were to slow the spread and not overwhelm the hospitals yeah um and the, at least that's what we were told in this country yeah. and then of course it got to a point where the hospitals weren't overwhelmed anymore but the mandates weren't lifted so people then had this thing well what 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 is this really about um yeah. And even like even, of course, once people were vaccinated and so forth, you know, the mandates still weren't lifted. So it goes on for so long. Uh, people don't really understand what it, what it's about anymore.
1: Yeah. You know? I think different governments have. A, I, I don't know which government I actually agree with in terms of I don't I don't think anyone really got it completely right. I completely disagreed with at least how the UK handled it from the first place. It was this, well, go to work if you can go to work, but stay home if you could stay home. It's like, well, what? Right, <laughs> so, this is confusing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we kind of did this half-assed lockdown approach, which can made the variants continue to like spawn new variants, can got the virus continually in circulation. I think, of course, they should. I. This is how I see it going in the future. If we have new waves that come through because of different variants that spawn, because Omicron is not going to be the last variant, unfortunately. Um, take it by in that situation if the cases are rising if you hit a certain threshold if the r number is high and if the hospitalizations and deaths are high then perhaps go to more stricter measures that's personally what i would say but if everything is kind of maintained and the you know rate of hospitalizations isn't overwhelming i mean then we can sort of think of more transitioning to an endemic phase where we kind of just have to learn to live with the virus but we have to get to that point first
0: but isn't this how all corona coronaviruses behave historically like it will start off with a far more severe version of the virus then over time the virus will weaken and weaken and weaken like with the spanish flu like the spanish flu didn't go away it still exists it's just it's just a lot weaker so we don't really talk about it but is that not what will happen with covid and omicron being less less uh, offensive than the delta Will that trend not just continue now, do you think?
1: We hope. That's the thing. We hope that happens. But when we say Omicron is more mild than Delta, it, the difference is, is in hospital, are you likely to be ventilated or not? You know, it's, I mean, right. it's still like intense, but it's, you know, it obviously, it does when you think about the threshold here and in terms of like what we define as severity. I think, so when viruses mutate, like one of three things can happen. One is they either get, like have a gain of function, So technically they become stronger. The other is nothing happens. The mutation does not confirm any fitness to the virus whatsoever. Or the third is that it becomes weaker. So it can happen where the virus becomes self-limiting, meaning it acquires so many new mutations that the virus itself cannot handle all of its new mutations and essentially it self-destructs. That's kind of the way we hope this thing will go, but it's not, not necessarily going to happen. The reason why alpha was the fir- which was the first variant of concern was so alarming is because this variant picked up hacks to escape kids immune systems and then delta kind of was a branch from alpha so that's why all it takes is these stronger variants like alpha and delta to um, a sort of a almost a descendant a new strain to come from them and then we have something concerning Whereas if it's like gamma or kappa or epsilon, it's not, I mean, it's not going to hopefully, I say that, hopefully be as much of a huge deal. So we can't make predictions at this time. I know it's frustrating because everyone's like, can we predict how it's going to go? I mean, if you asked me this two years ago, I never saw any of this coming. Right. So, yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's part of the problem is that no one really knows. <laughs> like yeah. everyone wants answers, but no one really knows. And some yeah. people pretend that they do know, but they don't because nobody does. Um, yeah. So, Just to go back, just one thing that you mentioned there. Um, In the beginning, everyone was told that once you're vaccinated, you can't spread the virus anymore. That's what people were told. And if you get vaccinated, you're safe. You can go out, you can do your own thing because it doesn't matter anymore. But then very quickly, that whole narrative fell apart when people who were vaccinated were still spreading it and so forth. Um, Do you think they just didn't know that was going to happen or they didn't want to say that because they didn't want vaccine hesitancy or... You know, I mean, I had the Johnson and Johnson in the beginning, and now after a while, obviously, we're told that you know the 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 the, that vaccine was not very useful after a certain amount of time against the um, against the virus and so forth. So, are these things just not known when they first uh, are released, or is it like I said, is it just that they don't want to say that because they don't want vaccine hesitancy?
1: Well, I think at the end of the day, I don't know if that's actually specifically what they said, but I mean, I think if no virus, sorry, no vaccine is going to completely stop you from um, completely 100% going to stop you from transmitting or getting infected. The point is, is how you feel, what happens if you are exposed. And do you end chance,
0: up in hospital, et cetera?
1: Exactly, and your chance of exposure. So what we do know, because there was this out, you know, sort of uproar that came through, which is when, oh yeah, vaccinated people also spread it. It was like, yeah, but let's think, let's quantify. That's why all the funny tweets started to come through, which is, yeah, but both me and Michael Phelps know how to swim. There's a stark difference. So those that are vaccinated have less viable virus and infectious folks significantly less time. Compared to those that are unvaccinated, that holds true. So you're far, significantly less likely to transmit viable virus and be infectious um, if you are vaccinated compared to if you're unvaccinated. So, yeah, and but also it's not necessarily just about that. You need to think about how you're actually going to feel when you have when you are exposed. So if you're vaccinated, your symptoms are likely to be asymptomatic slash mild. So I was asymptomatic when I had Delta. Um, I didn't know unless if I took a lateral flow test, uh, which was very frustrating because then, you know, then I saw right. it and was like, damn it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I think that's true of so many people, like so many have probably had it and didn't even realize. Yeah. Because um, unless you're testing all of the time, there's just no no way of knowing. Um, have you seen, uh, people have talked a lot about repurposed drugs. I know you, you mentioned the AstraZeneca was basically a repurposed vaccine, essentially, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Have you seen any evidence for, for other stuff um, that, that may be helpful in stopping hospitalization? Like if you administer it early enough, it will prevent hospitalization, that kind of stuff. Or have you not seen any evidence for that?
1: Nothing that I'm convinced of because ivermectin, which is the one that makes my blood boil, um, the key, met, the key, so unfortunately, the meta-analysis that was done that, in, that on ivermectin concluded that it could actually prevent hospitalizations or stop deaths, essentially, like it decreased mortality unfortunately the met the point of a meta-analysis it includes all the big studies the main study that swinged it that way swinged it swung it that way oh, yeah. um, swung it that way was um turned out to be completely plagiarized and fabricated so they even things to say that the last patient hospital date was like 31st of june there's no such thing as a 31st of june like it's just beyond bonkers the level of um Fabrication that this particular study um, did, and to the point that it got pulled because of it. So, but unfortunately, when it comes to meta studies, they included that. So, in terms of ivermectin, they only saw ivermectin, the key changes happening in vitro. So, in the little cell cultures, they saw, oh, it could potentially have some sort of effect. But actually, in once we went in vivo, there was no significant difference whatsoever. And in terms of hydro- hydroxychloroquine as well, you have to think about this because before vax- before we had the vaccines, the first lockdown we had, the first wave was killing loads of people. That was yeah. when hospitals were overwhelmed. So. Doctors and scientists were scrambling, because we didn't have a vaccine at this point, were scrambling to see what could we use that we already have, and could it work if we throw it at COVID, would it stop COVID? So we're talking about remdesivir, hydroxychloroquine, all of these particular drugs, but unfortunately none of them made a substantial difference, the the significant difference. For example, with hydroxychloroquine and um, remdesivir, you have to get the timing right, because remdesivir functions as an antiviral, but you know, and at what point do you give the antiviral, but also you need, you know, it's antivirals are very, very, like they're so potent on the body, like they destroy the body. But then there's hydroxychloroquine, which takes down the hyperinflammation. I, I mean, there's the inflammation, I'll call it hyperinflammation because it's almost like patho- immunopathology. Um, at what point do you give that? Because if you stop the inflammation, you also need that there to clear the virus. So wow. it's, it's that as well. So in my mind, no matter what other, I'm going to completely just shut down ivermectin. But in terms of like remdesivir, hydroxychloroquine and other potential drugs you could use, I still don't think they're as effective as a vaccine, in my opinion.
0: Right. But do you think that, yeah, it's hard because the skeptics will say, but why Why shut them down completely and only push the vaccine when it's possible that some of these things... The problem here was in the beginning, yeah. um, when... When Trump got it and took the hydroxychloroquine and all that kind of stuff, it was kind of like because, you know, Trump was obviously an idiot, but pe- the, uh, you know, people wanted to paint the picture of the clown even more. So it was like, look at this idiot taking this stupid thing. But then when he developed the vaccine, because the vaccine first was developed, you know, with, with, with okay. Pfizer and Moderna under his presidency, you know, the opposition were like, well, we're not taking that vaccine because it's Trump's vaccine. And obviously it's the same vaccine. That you're taking now but because trump was in power it was like oh we're not taking that so like i said like i said before like everything here is just so ridiculously politicized mm-hmm. and it's like people don't do stuff because it's associated with this political party but they'll do that this thing because it's associated with this political party even though it's the same thing so okay. again you have this like crazy situation of um, of politics um and at least all these you know all these different subsequent problems um and and suspicions and distrust and yeah sensationalism and you
1: know I think it just comes down to listen to the scientists who have I I've I'm from the UK I've come here I have no affiliation to any political party which probably might actually piss off people by me even saying that. right
0: they'll get you they'll try and get you
1: I know. <laughs> so, yeah. they want
0: to know which box you're in
1: <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to be defined <laughs> no
0: stay that way stay that way yeah it's kind of crazy as a as a fellow Brit you'll see that you know, I, I grew up in a household like some years my mum and dad would vote Labor. Some years they would vote conservative. Some, some years they would uh, vote liberal. It just depended okay. on who the right candidate was at the time. Same. Okay. Whereas here, you have to very definitely put yourself in a box. You have to be either red or you have to be blue. Yeah. And, you know, you can't, you can't deviate between those two things. And they want, they want to know which side you're on. Exactly. And um, it's kind of, from our perspective, it's kind of crazy. But to, to Americans, it's, it's very normal. I mean, it's just like, it's the way they've grown up and so forth. So it seems very normal. But I find it a very strange, a very strange situation to be in. I mean,
1: um, exactly. Like, it, I think it's bonkers as well. Because at one point, it was completely laid. But it was, you know, Tony Blair. And then suddenly, you know, then there was then switch to Tories with like David Cameron, but then like the uprising of the kids, like kids and like all of us are like, actually, hang on a second, we're more towards labor now, but no one really, it's, it's kind of, we just carry on in the UK. Yeah. And I don't think we think there are significant changes on either side, whereas here it, it does seem yeah. very.
0: It's kind of like what you said. It's like here, there's a deep distrust of government and everyone's very suspicious of what they're up to. Whereas in the UK, we just think they're all clowns. Like yeah. they're not intelligent enough to be like you know conspiratorial because they're just they just exactly. they're just boys from Eton who like
1: <laughs> know. <laughs> I know all from Eton who all party
0: together in, in college yeah um, okay. just quickly because I know you're a you're a Christian scientist correct yeah that's your faith what yeah. how does that and, and, and pardon my ignorance but how does that affect like what you do
1: um it's what in what in the sense of my, my well, what job. is it
0: what is a christian scientist pardon my ignorance
1: oh no 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 just i'm a i mean that uh, people have defined me on platforms as the christian scientist but it's just i'm a scientist who has a faith in god
0: <laughs> oh okay 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 <laughs> it's,
1: uh, yeah, no it's but it's because it's been an interesting time specifically for me because the i don't want to put i'm not generalizing but the the church has had a lot of anti-vax sort of, there's been a lot of anti-vax movement from the church as well right. uh, and i think and i have seen some really hideous behavior from people in the church through this pandemic as in like i have been called by lo- i mean i could easily count there's definitely been over a hundred people within the church who've said that i must be sent from satan because i'm talking about the vaccine and this vaccine is like something called there's a term called the mark of the beast which is in the final book of the bible which basically like this is the end of all kind of the beginning of the end
0: that's 666
1: uh that's is that yes yeah Yeah. yeah, 666 yeah it is the mark of the beast but it's yeah not it basically how farm, big pharma and you know pharmaceuticals like foreshadows the mark of the beast and all of that stuff and i've been i've had a lot of backlash basically from people within the church it's predominantly been within the church for yeah. my content on social media which has been um yeah it's been interesting for sure
0: <laughs> on the subject of i mean me and you are both in in fitness we both like to work out a lot we both like to stay as healthy as possible um and obviously we know that in America, the, the obesity epidemic is, is, is huge. It's a huge problem here, as is the rise of diabetes and so forth. Um, there hasn't been, um, hardly any, you know, media coverage of, you know, you need to get healthy. You need to stay fit. Like you need to keep your immune system as healthy as you possibly can. You need to eat good foods. You need to get nutrients and that sort of stuff. Where do you stand on that stuff? I mean, Why do you think there hasn't been any any push to get people fitter and healthier? A lot of people say, you know, we don't want to offend anybody, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to call people out, so we're not going to touch that subject. We're just going to talk about the vaccine. Where do you stand on promoting health and fitness and healthy eating as a way to stave off not just the 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 how bad COVID can be, but also like other other diseases and other uh, viruses as well?
1: I mean, it's completely, I mean, it's the foundation of my lifestyle as well as fitness, as you know. Um, I think the potential reason why, at least in the UK, I'm not too sure here, in terms of why they didn't promote necessarily like, oh, we'll have a fit and healthy lifestyle. There was this hilarious snap of Boris Johnson training outside um, taken to show like look you know boris is getting into shape so should you
0: oh uh,
1: <laughs> which is quite funny um but so they were kind of they did the very very feeble attempts at trying to push out a healthy fit and healthy lifestyle so there's this sort of swiss model of like the swiss cheese model of disease where um if you think about a, like swiss swiss cheese you know it's got all the different holes in it and if you think about like all those holes are ways that the virus could penetrate. The cheese. This is the analogy. Yeah, penetrate and call. You know, if infect you, vaccination is sort of one of those. If you're not vaccinated, there's the hole there. But as well, health uh, like life lifestyle that's very fit and healthy, good diet, exercising, keeping in shape, all of that. You know, having your adequate, you know, supplements and you know all the rest of it, healthy diet in general. All of that constitutes as well to the Swiss. Swiss cheese model disease so all of those factors are important the reason potentially I I personally I could be wrong so I don't you know hand up I don't want to be contributing myself to misinformation but I personally think the reason why it's not been pushed out is twofold is one because there will be backlash because all the gyms shut during lockdown So there would be backlash about that. It's like, well, if you're telling us to get fit and healthy, what do you want to just us to go do push-ups outside? Well, to be fair. Yeah. But you know, it's, but then the fitness trainers are like, but you're causing us to be out of job. And most of my friends in the UK are in the fitness industry. And obviously I can imagine what you must've gone through as well. It was a fun time, but the other is because it can become very quickly misleading and a slippery slope to why don't need the vaccine, which, which I've heard many times, I don't need the vaccine because I have three liters of water a day. I train five, day, five days a week, high intensity interval training. And I have a really, really good diet. So I don't need the vaccine. Well, well no, those things will help and will help you in the long run, like longevity in your life. But the, it doesn't, it, it, you cannot compare that to the benefits and the prophylactic effects of a vaccine. It's not going to stop you from getting the virus or getting really sick, whereas a vaccine would stop that. So I think that's why you have to be careful on the messaging that you put out.
0: Right. But it will help. Of course. Right? It, oh, yeah.
1: Of course, it would, yeah. 100%. Um
0: one of the most kind of controversial uh, aspects of it, I mean, especially from my perspective, I'm I'm a dad. I have a young son. Um you know, I hate seeing two year olds in masks. I absolutely hate it. Um, I'm not sure whether that was even a thing in the UK, but it was a thing here. Like every child over two, uh, has to wear a mask to school. Uh, and now of course they're pushing vaccines for kids and that kind of stuff. How do you feel about that stuff? Like what, what are the, if, if, if kids are, are at very little risk from, from COVID, um, I don't know you're going to talk a little bit about long COVID, but, um, if kids are at very little risk and the teachers are um vaccinated and so forth, why why are we making kids wear masks at that young age? And why why is it necessary to vaccinate kids so young?
1: Yeah, this is um this has obviously been a very, very controversial topic. Um this I did a reel on this, and this reel alone caused me to have over a hundred DMs in a single night of yeah, saying that there'll be blood on my hands and i'm a child killer and all of that so oh my goodness me um so my stance is is as there's a couple of reasons why the first first of all is we have seen an increase of kids hospitalized um since this sort of delta to omicron wave um And kids in ICU, which is quite traumatic, you know, I think it was in one single week in um, December, there was like 85 cases of kids in ICU in Michigan, you know, so the cases are on the rise. And, And in general, we know that kids fare better in general compared to adults when it comes to covid the alarm bells that I have is obviously number one is the, as I say, the increased rates of hospitalization, MIS-C, which is obviously the severe case of COVID um, multi sort of as multi-systemic inflammatory syndrome in like kids. Um, That's my main sort of concern for children. Um, But also it's the fact that, as I said, when it comes to variants, so the alpha variant picked up hacks, I think I said earlier, the alpha variant picked up hacks to escape, kids innate immune systems has picked up little tricks to do that and we know delta is has basically evolved from alpha so my concern is could there be new variants in the future that could continue to evade kids immune responses then what right. happens so that's my first that's my other concern as well It's like what happens at that point um the others obviously long covid which we can come on to in a, in a sec but you know kids are not immune from long covid and at such a young age do they really need to be dealing with potential chronic fatigue you know potential issues like that you know it's it's not really fair in that regard
0: is that so, is that the is that the main thing what long COVID, long sorry long covid does is uh, chronic fatigue that's what you've seen
1: no i mean it's it's the one that's the most talked about Right, um, But it's not the main. No, there's pretty much all other areas, muscle activation syndrome. There's other types of brain fog neuropathies. There's cardiac issues. It causes this, this virus really blitzes the body because it binds to pretty much, it, the virus binds to a receptor that's expressed all over the body. So that that's the problem that we have um, is this could literally manifest anywhere. Um, what,
0: what about that? What about the heart issue, the, my, the, the myocarditis stuff that some people say you get it kids can get it from the vaccine and other people will say you're more at risk of getting myocarditis from actual covid than you are from the vaccine and so forth where where are you on that
1: there are big studies done that have been uh, i've got this on my page as well that have shown that the cases you're far more likely at risk with cardiac issues post covid compared to vaccination that's not to say that you're not at risk after vaccination we've seen it happen there are there is data but unfortunately my main thing is is when there's like a 0.1 chance for example of getting myocarditis after pfizer for example um but then you have administered 60 billion doses suddenly 0.1 becomes sizable right so that's that's one of the issues in terms of kids they are far like and at least in the five to eleven year old cohort. There was pretty much very little to know. Very, very few cases of myocarditis, and they saw this when they hit the five million mark of five to eleven year olds vaccinated. It's more like the older people are more at risk. As I'm gonna say, older people, like sort of our age demographic, are at risk. Under, you know, sort of under fifties, under forties, at risk of myocarditis compared to the kids. So that was very encouraging when it came to adverse reactions post vaccine. Mm. Um, but then well, obviously oh yeah sorry continue.
0: sorry no you got you go keep going
1: and the other thing was is that when it comes to kids is kids are little viral hubs so they could be fine because their immune systems are like you know up and know how to deal with viruses because kids you know have there's m- multiple reasons for that kids immune immune systems are more naive they're younger so they know how to deal with the virus better than our immune systems but they're still viral hubs they still can take it home so they can still spread it so while well, they'll be okay you know do we vaccinate them to protect you know the elderly and the public as well so there's that kind right. of debate as well but
0: if if the, if those people are already vaccinated like if they, if, the, if the teachers and the parents suffer the vaccinated what's the argument there
1: i i i see what you're saying i mean it's the kids can still carry it they can still transmit new var- new variants can spawn from the kids And also, not not to mention the fact that the kids can be obviously hospitalized and all the other things I said in the above. I mean, I for me, I'm going based on obviously I'm not a pediatrician. So if I know the pediatricians are saying, get make sure your your kids get vaccinated, you know, and they are consistent meetings like the ACIP are consistently meeting to go over the data as to whether it's safe or not for kids and whether they should vaccinate kids and have a rollout. So you know they are consistently reviewing that data and I think the response from the AstraZeneca vaccine should be encouraging to know that the data is constantly being reviewed.
0: reviewed yeah. Um how um, how do how do, you, how do you how I mean how do they justify the mask thing on kids cuz obviously I worry about my child's development uh, his speech development and that kind of stuff. Um I don't, was it a thing in the UK? I I don't think my, because my nieces go to school in the UK. I don't think they wore masks in school. Was that a thing for kids there or not?
1: Definitely more of a thing here. And I posted that as well. It's quite Uh,
0: bizarre. Where do you stand on that?
1: uh, I I
0: mean, mean, imagine trying to keep a mask on a two-year-old. It's, to me, it's preposterous, but I, I, you know, and I can't, I can't really understand it, but um, you may have a different.
1: Of course, we know that masks, stop transmission and we know the benefits of masks in general and i i think that should go that same for everyone you know kids as well that you know we know masks help and stop transmission and protect you protect others i understand though that it can be quite challenging to have make a two-year-old keep on a mask all day Just, just,
0: just on that point yasmin has it been like definitively proven that masks do stop transmission of covid
1: Yes, the, the, the specific masks, though. There were f- fascinating studies that were done. There was a f- really hilarious hamster study. I mean, hilarious because it was hamsters. Uh, there was a hamster study that was done. That was an initial one to show that the the pre- like decrease in transmission when uh, masked compared to unmasked. I mean, you have to have the correct surgical masks, you know, and there's loads of data to show that the fabric cloth masks, Don't just, do anything. especially with Omicron, which is wildly transmissible, don't do
0: anything but, yeah and, and again i think part of the problem is you know yeah. you have these ridiculous situations where you walk into a restaurant you don't wear the re- you, you have to wear the mask to get into the restaurant but once you're in the restaurant and sitting down you don't have to wear the mask and it's the same in bars and people are like well th- when, when you're trying to say you have to trust the science there is zero science behind that practice I mean, so at I... that point you're just like well what are we doing here yeah. like
1: I completely agree with you in that sense, because um, in London, when everyone was going back to work, the tube would be just rammed. The London Underground classic during rush hour is, yeah, everyone was wearing masks, but you're absolutely rammed in there. You're like sardines in there. It's like there was no social distancing whatsoever in the London right. Underground. Yeah, we have to social, do to practice social distancing everywhere else we go. So I remember thinking this just doesn't, this just didn't make it sense. make
0: any sense. Yeah.
1: So I suppose it's kind of like you're trying to mitigate the circumstances as much as you can in every situation that you can. But I do agree sometimes it right. actually makes sense. Um, I will say, obviously, this is not, not a disclaimer, but it's the truth, which is I'm not a parent. And yet one day, God willing, I will be. But I'm not a parent. So I'm not faced you know, with the situation of, you know, how do I keep this mask, you know, on my two year old kid all day? Um but obviously as as i say it's i still think the, the pros outweigh the risks and the pros outweigh the cons but i understand for parents who have little children they could potentially feel a bit differently yeah which i understand
0: yeah um my god there's there's so much here yes man i could talk to you all day about this stuff but uh, i don't want to keep you all day but um i do want to kind of hear like where do you think we go from here and you, you've touched on it uh briefly but what do you think the next step so how do you i know we can't predict the future but in your mind how does this pan out do you think for the next six months to a year are we going to start getting back to normal is this thing like broadly over or are we just kind of like <laughs> we're just kind of treading water and to see what happens next
1: It's far from over. I think the UK are beginning to do it right, beginning to finally, I need to be careful when I say that, which is they're trying to adopt a let's get on with it strategy and see what happens. Now, at first, when I heard this, like my backup was against the wall, which I thought this is absolutely ridiculous. But then suddenly, when people were trusted, when Omicron hit to just shield, test and isolate where, you know, accordingly, I was like oh actually this could actually potentially work with people that have common sense not everyone has common sense though um how i see this going is i think we're going to have to review it case like literally by case numbers and hospitalization rates if a new variant comes along which it will i'm very i very very much doubt omicron's our final wave um i think you have to evaluate it as new variants come through it, when this new variant comes through, can we identify it quickly? How severe is it? What? It, what's its reproductive number? Is it spreading like crazy, like the way Delta and Omicron were? And take it from there. And if there has to be temporary circuit breakers for a couple of weeks, okay, so be it in temporary, go up to like what we call plan B in the UK, go up to wearing masks indoors again, just for until this calms down. Then we'll have to, I think the key with an endemic, is that you accept there will still be hospitalizations? That's the way it goes with right. any pandemic. You All accept right. that, but are, are hospitalized overwhelmed or not? Hospi- right. are, the, are the hospitals, sorry, overwhelmed or not?
0: Well, As it's it's like it's like the saying goes: like viruses are going to virus. Like you can't stop the virus from happening; it's going to happen. And and the other thing I wanted to to briefly talk about was, you know, I know uh, Australia and New Zealand had these very 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 strict uh, lockdowns, um, but you know, the virus is going to get there eventually. You can't stop it. Like, ultimately, it is going to get there. Um, so, you know, I, the ramifications on the economy, um, and we've seen in the US with so many, so many small businesses closing. And, and, and again, this is a different topic, but again, the frustration is, you know, all these huge corporate companies are getting richer and richer, and all of these small businesses are just collapsing because they can't support themselves because of the lockdowns. Um, and that's another frustration. But oh, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on what uh, Australia and New Zealand are doing? I, I mean, it's, it just seems like it's unsustainable and that the virus is going to get there and then they're just going to have to deal with it when it gets there.
1: I mean, at first I agreed with their approach, but now that that at least New Zealand is still pushing through a zero COVID, you know, you know, zero, you know they don't want to completely, like, just no cases whatsoever. I'm not sure how I completely feel about it now in terms of, like, the mental health implications as well i mean it's yeah. now coming up to you know it's you know, two two years we're in our third year technically now um i don't potentially know how sustainable it is i agree especially in new zealand like there's a lot of outdoor space there's more sheep than people i mean right. you know, think about the epicenters like you know major cities like london and new york where omicron went Crazy, yeah. I kind of understand lock temporary circuit breakers and temporary lockdowns, at least for those major, major cities. When I say circuit breakers, I mean, they're usually like two weeks long, just to make that clear. Um, no one trusts
0: that anymore because that was that was two weeks to slow the spread.
1: That's true. Um, I personally don't know where i stand with it and i try and keep out with keep out like in terms of my views because on the one hand yes it works in terms of keeping out the virus and stopping transmission at the same time at this point in the game
0: yeah but for me it's it's like uh, yes 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 yes, it works but at what cost and the at what cost question is the big one like like you said like mental health suicide suicides in young women especially going up like this combined with you know, all the, the, the social media bullying and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, all of the people that are going out of business and the, the, the economic repercussions of, of lockdowns and all this other stuff. Like, of course, if we all just shut down the world for five years, then the virus wouldn't spread as much. But you can't do that. Like, at what cost? Um, so there has to be a point where you take that British approach of, like, we just have to keep calm and carry on because it's unsustainable to, to shut down our lives forever.
1: And exercise common sense, I mean the one yeah. blessing in the UK that we had which is the game changer was we had the free lateral flow tests like you literally walked into any pharmacy and you got a box for right or, that's, all- and
0: that's that was one thing that was really frustrating here um, testing kits were hard to get they were very expensive. I think I paid something like one hundred and thirty dollars for a testing kit at one point just for one test for one test. Okay. And I had to, they, they were, everyone was sold out. So I had to order it from a pharmacy. No, yeah, I had to order it from a pharmacy. I had to take it. I had to put it back in the mail, send it to a testing. So, I mean, it's the whole thing was absurd, obscene. And then yeah. in the UK, like you said, everyone's getting those tests for free. And, you know, you can get as many as you want. I mean, I stopped like, This book. is <laughs> monstrous. And now, now I see someone put on Instagram the other day that their free testing kit from Biden suddenly arrived. And there's like two tests. and. Um, and it's just like, it's just too little, too late, uh, and.
1: Yeah, I think mm-hmm. they said from like 19th of January, they were finally going to like, you know, have like free at home testing kits. And I just thought, yeah, this is really like too late for America, to be honest. like Really too late. I think, because I think if you had that in place, I personally would have thought, felt more comfortable with like, the let's almost get on with it approach in the UK because you trust, but then you have to trust that people are going to exercise common sense. Right. Like, you know, if someone does an at home pe- um, lateral flow and it's positive, well, oh, well, no one needs to know, I can, on the same day. you know, so it's one of those, I just, I do want to throw out this quick disclaimer, if possible, I probably should have thrown this out at the beginning of the podcast, to be fair, which is, um, I am never gonna force someone or tell someone you need to get vaccinated, or you're the scum of the earth, and you are the person continuing the pandemic, I don't believe in like, a, you know, that's a very divisive, that's very sort of, that's bullying, um, Right. I'm, one of my starts is: I'm an expert in immunology. I'm an expert in the immune system. I will tell you, give you the tools, give you the facts, give you the evidence. You go away and make your own decision.
0: Yeah, and um, I think I think that's exactly the right way to go about it. Yeah, um, I think this kind of like demonization of people who aren't vaccinated and like what's going on in in Germany and what's you know what's happening in, in Canada right now. Um, I think it's a very very dangerous path to to, to go down. And your you're basically creating a subsect of society and making them feel like, you know, subhuman almost for not being vaccinated. And it's it's completely the the wrong way to go. And it's it's just it's just scary. It's just scary. For yeah. what yeah. it says about society, what it says about the people in power. Um yeah, it's it's kind of terrifying.
1: So that's kind of my yeah, exactly. And that's kind of my stance on it. Is like if you my main thing that puts my back up against the wall is when people say that they know more about immunology than me <laughs>
0: right <laughs> like, of course
1: about natural immunity versus vaccine induced or people tell me like oh but there's evidence to show that the vaccines don't work things like that. it's like no because i'm showing you the actual evidence and right. if people my main thing as i say is people say thank you yas we've got the information you've given us all the evidence however i'm still choosing not to get vaccinated for abc and z not because of the immunology behind it right i've done, I've done my job yeah yes.
0: for sure is, sure yeah well I think you're doing the right thing I think you're doing a great job um, uh, you just keep you know doing doing the way that you do it and I'm sure you'll reach the people that want to listen and you'll educate the people that may be on the fence and um, yeah i th- I think what you're doing is 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 bold and um, it's interesting it's engaging and it's the right way to do it like you said you're just giving people the information they can do with it what they will uh you're not trying you're not politicized in any way uh you're not trying to bully someone into something you're not um, you're not being critical of people who aren't, you know, following the path that you think is correct, and I think that's that's the way to go. All we can do is, you know, educate, inform, uh, listen, understand, have empathy, and you know, just be good human beings about it all.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, the plan, I suppose. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, yes. Thank you so much for for joining us today. um Thank you for taking the time. I know you're super busy. I know you're moving house today. Uh, I know you have this new job and everything is crazy right now. So I really appreciate you taking the time to to jump on the podcast. I know our listeners are going to love this episode and I think it's going to be super helpful for a lot of people. So Wes, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Of course. Uh, I look forward to, to seeing you in the gym soon.
1: Yeah, I'll see you in the gym.
0: All right, Yasmin, you take care. Thank you again.
1: Bye.